Blind Parent Connection. Supported by the Gibney Foundation and brought to you by the National Federation of the Blind. Hello everyone, this is David Dino Terris with the Blind Parent Connection. And I am here with my friend and colleague, Anil Lewis. And on this. Two blind dads. On two blind dads. <laughs> and on this episode, we are going to be discussing one of the most important uh, skills and techniques that uh, I know that uh, it's important for me to master, which is travel skills. And, uh, Anil. People wonder all the time about uh, blind and sighted people wonder all the time. How do blind people travel and and how do blind people get around? Yeah, and that fear is only enhanced when they're talking about, oh, my God, and they have to be responsible for kids, children, too. Absolutely. So we're going to alleviate all those fears, uh, answer all those questions and make everybody feel comfortable with the capacity of blind parents to travel safely and independently with their children. So the first thing we need to do is really start addressing the elephant in the room, right? Everybody's attitudes and perceptions about the capacity of, of blind parents to safely and independently travel with their children. And uh, some of the interviews that you've had with some of our parents really kind of articulate that really well. I know you had an opportunity to interview Melissa Riccobono, and she talked about her challenges being a blind parent and traveling with her kids. We certainly did. She provides some really great ideas. Let's give that a listen. The biggest challenge for me is society's attitudes when we're out and about traveling. Um, right. The misconception that my children are taking care of me right. from the time they were very, very little. I mean, I had Austin as an infant in a cab one time, and the driver said, oh, it is so good you have him. He will take care of you. And, I mean, I know he meant Thanks. when I, you know, and I, I mean, mm -hmm. I took it as, okay, I hope he means when I'm old and gray, you know, but I don't think he did. I mean, no. and I just, I wanted to say to him, he is an infant. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I'm taking care of him. So Melissa's points are very well taken, but this next clip from Eric Guillory, I know I can relate to the whole perception of who's the parent and who the, who's the child. Anil, so many times I was with my son who is... Uh, when when he was younger, maybe eight or nine years old, we could be out. We could be at a restaurant. We could be uh, walking at, at a train station, and they would ask, "Do you know what he's having, or do you know where you're going?" Asking your son this. Asking my son this, rather than asking me. Wow. And so certainly, my son would say something like, "Well, I'm I'm really not sure. You should probably ask my dad." And. Uh, then I would I'd certainly answer. But the, 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 the misperceptions and that we need to demystify, and that's why I'm excited to be part of this podcast. Eric does a, a great job of helping uh, demystify and uh, help under, understand best about who's really in charge. You hear about situations where little kids, I mean, three or four years old, you know, they'll be, take your mommy to the cash register or take your daddy to the wherever, you know. And, and any time, that never really yeah. happened, but I wanted to, when we were going into McDonald's or any place, I wanted to make sure that the, the proprietors and that the general public knew, not that I'm some big bad dad, but they knew who was the competent one, who was the parent, and who was the child. Yes, it's, it's important for the blind parents to also make sure that they're the ones in charge, but it's also important for us as blind parents to educate our kids on how to deal with these public perceptions as well. The story I love to tell is I was walking with my son. He was at that kind of 
toddler age, I was holding his hand, we were walking through. And I realized just based through his actions that, you know, he's feeling uncomfortable for some reason. And I just stopped and said, hey, man, you know, uh, what's going on? And he looked at me and says, Dad, everybody's looking at us. And I didn't even realize that he was experiencing this as a problem. But, you know, at that particular point, <laughs> I'm glad that I came up with this solution because it worked really well. But I just looked right back at him and I said, man, with a dad this good looking, people are just going to have to look. <laughs> and from that point on, he was cool with it. As a matter of fact, when we were in crowded places, I would just, you know, hear him chuckle every now and then. I know there were lots of people looking at us. So it, it's incumbent upon us as parents to also teach, teach our kids. But in addition to that, we, we also have to, you know, be creative with respect to how we deal with the challenges that we face. So the next clip from uh, the interview you had with Lisa Maria, I think, really talks about something that's very unique to her being a mom of three kids. I have to say that right now, the toughest thing I deal with is traveling with all three of them, particularly when it's just me. And it's a problem that my sighted husband also has when he's alone with all three of the kids, Um, except he gets to put them in car seats in a car and drive off. If I have all three kids and we're commuting somewhere, you know, two of them are walking, one of them is in a stroller, you know, one of the two who are walking will eventually get tired and want to be in the stroller. So it's just the juggling of the three abilities of the children when commuting. I love the way that she clearly defines that she and her husband both have difficulty, you know, traveling with three kids. That that makes sense. And I love the way she points out, oh, well, you know, but he can just put them in the car and drive off. But again, she's very creative. She comes up with a solution so that she can exercise her responsibility as a parent to, to their three kids. You know what I like about that, Anil, is that, you know, we could either get frustrated or, or, or fascinated. And she comes up with solutions rather than saying, it's just too hard. I can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. I think the interview you had with Maurice uh, had a couple of pieces that I think are helpful. Um, when he's talking about how, you know, what we do really impacts the way that our kids perceive us is important. So let's take a listen to that. You want a role model to your children that in the outside world, it's not a horrible, dangerous, awful play. They'll find that out when they get older. Yeah. But, but it's, not, it's, it's, uh, it's worth exploring, and it's worth developing the confidence to do that. So fear is real uh, for blind parents and for sighted parents. Yeah, it's what, just scary to be a parent. What are the fear? False uh, evidence appearing real? false expectations appearing real. Some people just think they can't do it or or it, it, it's it's too hard or it's too complicated yeah. or it's too scary. But, Neil, we, we, we have uh, some Lisa Maria Martinez. Yeah, she, even though she's a trained O&M instructor, she, she expresses the fear that she has, you know, traveling with her kids. Now I talk about how much I go out with my kids and I hike. But when I was pregnant with my oldest kid, I worried a lot about traveling with him in a stroller or carrying him in a baby carrier or however I went about. Um, I had a lot of doubt, self-doubt and lack of confidence around that. And um, when I had him and I was home for maternity leave, I, I had this talk with myself. And that talk went something like this. LM, 
you're an O&M instructor. <laughs> you know a thing or two about traveling, and you've traveled a lot on your own. What is your problem? Why are you afraid to go out with your kid? And I decided that what I needed to do was just go out and do it. And that's what I tell a lot of my blind parent friends when they have their kids is even though it might be very terrifying, just do it and take baby steps. You know, so at first I would um, strap on my baby carrier, you know, put Eric inside and take a walk to the bank or the grocery store or Starbucks. I think we went to Starbucks like every day the first two weeks of his life. (laughs) And then I upgraded to walking with the stroller just around our neighborhood and getting used to um, working my cane and the stroller in a way that worked for us and just getting comfortable with that. And then, so then, then, Then I became a pro. But when baby number two came around, then there was the whole issue of how to work with two kids and then with three kids, you know. So it it really just became a matter of, you know, kind of squashing down my my nerves a bit and just doing it. Yeah, and, and I love the way that Lisa Maria just openly talks about it. Again, you know, being a trained travel instructor, her same apprehensions. The best way to overcome that fear is to really get really good training. That's the only way you're going to develop the confidence to really travel safely and independently with not only by yourself, but with your children. It is so essential. And you get so much confidence in in other areas of your life when you learn to travel from where you are to where you need to go. If it's uh, to school, if it's to a training program, if it's to a job, if it's to take your kids to the doctors, it's crucial that we know know that that skill, we know how to use a white cane, we know how to travel with a a, a dog guide, whatever it is, it's so important we know how to travel independently. Yeah, I, I love the way that Louise Walsh actually opens up and talks about her failing uh, when she did not have the proper skills. Yes, that's uh, we've all been there. Let's listen to that. Travel training has been monumental for me. I I grew up not using my cane except on you know quote special occasions <laughs> when I. When I knew I would be out at night and couldn't see, maybe I maybe I could take it out, or maybe I was on a trip and I might take it with me. However, uh, I remember this one night in college. It it was it was dark and I had left the library. I was walking home and I walked a way that I don't usually walk, and I fell down some stairs. And that for me was a wake up call that you know I need to make some changes in my life time for me to start using techniques that will actually work for me. Again, I love that Louise shared with us, you know, her particular pitfall. You know, my mom used to always tell me, you know, there's two ways to learn and I always used to choose the second. So that's true for me too. So I'm glad she felt comfortable enough sharing. Oh, I know it. Uh, My mom would say, Dave, you're a hand on the burner kind of learner. And (laughs) and, and I didn't need one of those white canes. I didn't I I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like everybody else. And I've done my share of falling off a 
curbs and steps, and yeah. and th- thank God I didn't really get hurt. And luckily we overcame and, w- and we acquired those skills of independent travel. And once you acquire those skills, you know, there's a host of options that you can use to safely transport yourself and your children in any environment. Uh, you interviewed Melissa Riccobono, and she gave an overview of a few that she's used successfully. Melissa's a fountain of information and has all kinds of ideas and strategies. We are really lucky to live in a neighborhood where we can walk to many, many, many different locations. Mm -hmm. Or um, there's a free bus called the Baltimore Circulator that stops fairly close to our house. And that goes to many places, but it goes mostly to um, the harbor and, you know, those places where the aquarium, where the science center, where the children's museum, kind of where all those things are. So we do walk a lot. We take buses once in a while. Um, We also do take Uber and Lyft. And I must say, I think Uber and Lyft are game changers for everybody. I just think being able to track where your driver is, to be able to communicate with your driver if you can't find them, to be able to, you know, quickly get from point A to point B. I mean, I, I, if I have to wait more than, you know, I don't know, five minutes for a ride, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's such What's a long on? time to wait. And it used to be you called a taxi, and if they were there in 15 minutes, you were lucky. It was generally more like 20 minutes to a half an hour sometimes. Exactly. And you could never count on it. And so that has been extremely, extremely helpful. And so we, we do that. Certainly we fly on airplanes. We, we've taken the train a few times to Washington, D.C. Cool. Um, and, of course, you know, we fly on airplanes a fair amount because both of our families still live, most of them, in Wisconsin. So we go back and forth um, a fair amount and, and, of course, have done other trips. She goes through a host of the new transformative ways of getting around, you know, that ride sharing. That's real. Um, but she didn't, you know, give homage to kind of that fundamental piece of transportation that we've all had to use at one point. And that's public transportation. But public transportation is real. And I remember I used to use the bus uh, to take my son from home uh, to daycare. And, you know, you, you run into a host of different opportunities to test your skill, you know, about being a blind parent. Because every day you're potentially running into some new person, a new personality or someone with an additional misconception that you'd have to deal with, including the bus drivers themselves. Um, but the beauty of it is I, I think that it, it really gave me an opportunity to really demonstrate to my son that I was independent, you know, and able to, to take care of him. And it also fostered a degree of independence with him as well, because in those environments, he learned a skill set that is real helpful for him today, interacting with, with people of different personality types, being able to cut, catch public transportation when he essentially needs to use it to get where he wants to be. So, you know, I think it was a win-win. Not my choice today. Uh, but I'm glad that I was able to to actually use public transportation and actually show my son, show my son how to use public transportation. It's so interesting that you you say that, Anil. I, and the the misconceptions of even from the bus driver. And I can tell you, one of the first times I ever traveled by myself. And it was uh, to travel. It was to travel to work. Now, my orientation and mobility instructor, she had helped me several times do the route, and I even did the route one time with my wife. 
so I, I knew I knew how to do it. And then it was time. It was Monday morning. It was 647 and the bus came. And I said to the bus driver, I said, is this the number 26? He said, yes, it is. And I, I stepped on the bus and he said, do you, do you know where you're going? <laughs> No, sir. I'm just standing yeah, here on the corner hoping just, that someone would just give me a destination. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know where I'm going. I'm going abroad in market, and I, I put my money in the in the, the changer. And he said, are you sure you should be out here by yourself? Wow. And, you know, that really, you know, as, as if I wasn't. Uh, afraid enough, and my dad, my dad would say, Anil, like it's okay to get butterflies as long as you get them to fly in formation, right? <laughs> he so, must have been an air, air, air force guy. He was a navy guy. He <laughs> okay. was a navy guy, and and so I, so I was already nervous, and and just that, just that, like oh my goodness, like yeah, yeah, I, I should be out here, sir. It's okay for me to be out here. Why do you ask? <laughs> he said, Don't you know the general public is crazy? <laughs> it wasn't about you at all. Yeah, he was just trying to protect you from society. I said, yeah. apparently they are, sir. <laughs> apparently they are. But, you know, we, we, we have, uh, um, as Melissa's already stated, we have come into a whole new era uh, where there are so many more options out there that allow us to really, you know, get to where we want to get, when we want to get there. Uh, but I think that the key that some of the people that you interviewed kind of pointed out is, there's a strategy that you can use to really kind of leverage your ability to have responsibility over some aspects of it and partner with others who can provide resources to you. You know, just a collaborative kind of partnership that takes place. I think it's better described by the interview you had with Louise Walsh, and she talks about how building relationships helps her come up with transportation solutions. The more I do it, the easier it becomes. It might be that there's a play group across town that I want to take my preschooler to. And it might not be feasible to take that $40 cab ride in perpetuity every week. But if I commit to doing it that first or second time and use those as opportunities to just meet people, it might be that there's somebody going my direction who I can catch a ride with and for whom I can also maybe offer something in return like, hey, I can watch your kids sometime, or why don't, why don't you all come on over to my place? I, we can have a play group at my house, and that's been a big part of my getting to know people. I think the most important part of what Louise just shared with us is her statement is, you know, she just had to commit to doing it. Uh, it's easy to talk yourself out of doing something, but if you commit to doing it and just, you know, committing the resources that are necessary to get it done, as she just described, you'll never know what innovative strategies or opportunities may come out of you just taking that first step. So I think that was very good to share. I, I love the thought. I, I read the book a long time ago, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Sometimes you just got to feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And Terry Rupp, in your interview with her, she also shares uh, some strategies she used to kind of trade off responsibilities. So I live in the city of Las Vegas, which is not quite a city. We don't have a decent transportation system. No. I also live in the suburbs, which is separated from the rest of the city by about two miles of desert. There is no busing. That we don't have a bus system that goes to my part of town. If you take paratransit, paratransit doesn't come to my part of town. So I had to get really creative with transportation. I'm very fortunate 
now at this current date that I have my own parents who live right around the corner and my mother-in-law just moved in with me. So I have drivers who are retired and able to drive me around. We have Lyft, we have Uber. My kids ask us anytime when it's just me and we're going somewhere, who's gonna drive us? Are you calling a Lyft? Did you schedule the Lyft yet? But I also have a huge network that I've cultivated in the community with the mommy group that I ran where I used to barter babysitting services. These are other moms who are sighted, who trusted me to watch their kids. In return, they would drive my kids and I to doctor's appointments, to school events, to play dates. So as members of the National Federation of the Blind, we know that we continue to fight for independence for blind individuals, but really the goal is for true interdependence. I mean, those two previous examples show how we have value and we have uh, talent and we can offer it up and partner with others that have value and talent and work collaboratively toward a solution. I think that Patty Chang probably kind of sums it up really best. It's all about developing a network. We, we talk about a network, and I love the thought, Anil, that the, a network can eliminate the legwork and being plugged into a network of people in the Federation, being plugged into a network of people in our community, being plugged into a network of people in maybe where we worship will really help us to you know, solve some of the challenges that we may be experiencing. I really had to develop a network of some kind of system so that I could get my kids where they needed to go. So finding a mom who I could either trade babysitting for, for her driving, or finding a dad that you could, you know, trade. I'm an attorney, so a couple times I traded doing a simple will for somebody for their driving. You know, I mean, if you're creative, you can figure out something that will be valuable to both of you. Obviously, I want the driving, and that's really the only thing I've ever heard my kids complain about is mom not driving. And it's important to understand that once you build the network that you have to make sure that as the blind person that you step up to your responsibilities as well. It's not a matter of being the weaker link in the chain. We have to step up and be actual fully participating members of that network that we've created. And I think that Eric Guillory kind of says it really well. He talks about reciprocity. He does, and he really drives home the point that what gets rewarded gets repeated. And so I think he makes some really good thoughts here. Let's give that a listen. I always encourage the need for, not the need for, but I always encourage uh, folks, whether blind or sighted or any circumstance, to reciprocate. So, for instance, if one of the dads, you know, takes our son home time or two or whatever, it may be that we, you know, bring them something or give them, get them a small Christmas gift or just any different ways to, to reciprocate with your friends. Don't just assume uh, that, you know, even though they're doing it out of kindness, just for, 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 for building and maintaining those relationships, uh, you, you reciprocate that kindness as well. And that makes a huge difference. And also don't wear out your welcome um, in terms of even, even folks who are kind, they have their own lives to lead as well. So, Having that network upon which you can, can depend, but also knowing that um, there are times where you're going to need to pay for rides, whether it's through Uber or Lyft or city bus or taxi. Again, this is another example of the strategies that are used, and these aren't just blind specific. I mean, all of these examples are strategies that all parents use because there's no uh, person out there that doesn't really build on that team. What is it? It takes a village to raise a child, so it's all about building that village. It is true. 
And I also believe that as blind parents, we need to identify other solutions that we can utilize to solve our problems. I I think we've got some really good ideas on our next clip. So when we had Silas, we lived in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, um, which does not have the most robust public transit system. It's okay if you live downtown, but beyond that, it's service is spotty and slow and not as reliable. And so we, uh, before we moved, we lived in a townhome community that was not anywhere near a bus. And it worked out for us because we had a reader driver that we employed. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not, I think sometimes people have this perception, I certainly encountered this when I was in the blindness field, you know, in the blind community, that people think it is prohibitively expensive. And what I would say to that is, like with anything, there is an associated cost. But keep in mind that sighted families pay a car payment. Sighted families pay for car insurance, and those things are not cheap. Of course, it's dependent on what kind of car you have. Is it paid off? What is your insurance premium? So there, there is a wide range of costs there. But it's just something to keep in mind that, I think we have this perception sometimes that because sighted families don't have to take Lyft or Uber or they may not use public, they have their own car, they may not use public transportation, that it is more expensive for us. And while that may be true in certain situations, I don't believe that is always true. So for us, we had somebody and we paid them, we had a certain number of guaranteed hours a week. And so we would schedule okay, it's going to be an errands day, and so, or we have a play date or whatever. And so it was nice. We could keep the car seat in her car, schedule errands, and she would help with the mail and, you know, things like that. So that worked out really well for us. We had a couple while we lived there, a few different people. And what worked for us was posting on our local university job boards online. All of that stuff is electronic now. Most job boards are. So you can post an ad on either your local university, which I highly recommend. Students tend to have flexible hours, and $10 an hour to drive their car around is a pretty good gig for them. And it's consistent if you can guarantee. So that worked out very well for us. Um, Background checks, which you should do, particularly for a driver. You want to make sure that their driving record is clean. All of that can run about $15, $20. You can do a basic one online. Um, I have heard, though I have not done this, that you can go to your local police precinct and get one done for free or really cheap. It might take a little longer, but you can do it that way too. So it's definitely worth the investment. Um, Some people I know, they require less driving time, and so they maybe trade services. So sometimes I know people that have owned a home, they have a garage, and the parking may be limited in the neighborhood, so they let their uh, person who drives for them occasionally use their garage as a parking space because otherwise Very paying cool. for parking would be more expensive. So there are some different ways to work that out, and that's how we found somebody. Um, make sure you do a job interview. What we included in ours, well, we knew she had a good driving record, or both of them had good driving records, and we always had a stack of mail available and worked through reading and made sure that they could read well because reading is a skill 
and not everybody has it. Uh, we did. We had a trial week too, and so I did a shopping trip with her to see how efficiently we could go through a store together and how we communicate, and that worked out great for us. That was a part of the interview process. So don't just hire the first person that applies. Uh, my main advice, do not hire your friends to do that. Why not? Because it can get complicated, but if you're friends first, and then what if there's an issue? What if they feel like they can be late more often because, oh, they're my buddy. They'll, and not that people do that consciously to take advantage, but you tend to expect more grace from your friends than you would from your employer. <laughs> Right? What if something happens on the job and you need to confront them about it? That can make put a strain on friendships. So I just recommend avoiding that at all costs. Find somebody else. That's a very interesting strategy. You know, we can call it the driver reader solution, but I think that it's very important that blind parents do use the resources and talents that they have to come up with those similar solutions to meet the needs that they have for their families. Uh, it's interesting that Briley uh, O'Connor is married to Corb O'Connor. They're both blind individuals, blind parents. Uh, so they have to come up with those non-visual solutions. Uh, it's interesting, though, that some people in society think that it's better for a blind person to be married to a sighted person so that the sighted person can deal with all of the things that the blind person can't. And I think that Eric Guillory kind of puts a kibosh on the perception that the blind parent gets a pass. My wife happens to be sighted, so she does do uh, all of the driving, obviously, in our family for now until the, uh-huh. the cars, you know, catch up with our aspirations. So she does. However, she, she's not always available to do that. My, my parents actually just moved quite literally a mile away from us. It's been a great blessing um, because they, I mean, they want to be, my dad has just retired, so they want to be near the grandkids, and it's really great. And so uh, they they help out with some of that, but again, they're not always available, or you know, either. Sometimes they're involved in other things, or out of town, or any number of things. And so, and for years, they they weren't in town. And so, for me, planning how to get to activities, it definitely makes me grateful that I have an organized uh, wife and uh, someone who's keeping track of, of what's happening when, because then I'm able to say, okay, I'm going to line up this taxi or pay this driver to do. Uh, this route, and then, okay, so they can get us there, but they can't get us back, so let me arrange something else. And that's really been great. Again, use the power of technology to your advantage to set things up. I'll text a friend and say, hey, I know uh, your son is going to be at soccer practice. Could we possibly get a lift to uh, XYZ, you know, to location when, when the guys are done? Or if I'm not at that practice, then she'll say or he'll say whichever friend I'm texting, Oh, you know, one of the dads might say, I'll bring Austin home or whatever the case is. I love Eric's perspective. He doesn't get a pass. He, even though there are, are rides available and he still had to have a, a plan B and have some other solutions. And that makes me think of, Anil, you know, uh, about uh, just a, a great mentor of mine, Joe Ruffalo, who's been a longtime federationist and president of the NFB of New Jersey for many years. And he told me, David, uh, congratulations. I hear you're getting married. I said, yes, I am, Joe. Mary and I, we're, Marianne and I are getting married. He goes, David, I want to remind you of something. And I said, what's that? He said, Mary Ann is your wife. Mm-hmm. She is not your 
taxi driver. Yeah. She is your wife. She is not the cook. Yeah. She is your wife. She is not the accountant. You have responsibilities here as well. Yeah. And so just as you know, that was just some some great advice, some friendly advice and really framed this well for me that, wow, okay, so just because she's sighted and she can drive doesn't mean she gets all those other responsibilities. Yeah, that's true. Responsibility is key and sharing that responsibility between parents, regardless, blindsided, it's important to being parents. (laughs) This is me, the single dad talking about that, but I recognize how important that is. But speaking of responsibility, you know, things have changed since we were little kids. The responsibility has grown. Back back in the day when we would travel as kids, they just throw us in the car and hit gas, hit the gas pedal. Right now you got seat belts and car seats and that adds a whole different dynamic to traveling with your kids when you're a blind parent. It sure does, and uh, we have to consider, uh, you know, five-point car seats and and uh, booster seats and buses and Ubers and trains and all these different uh, options and, and, and need to be prepared to handle those things. Yeah, but that dynamic of the car seat, that's, that's unique to me, so I was very happy to hear the piece from Jennifer uh, that talks about car seats. You know, one of the biggest things that I have had to deal with is having to transport my kids in vehicles and install and uninstall car seats. Car seat safety is very important to me, and I keep my kids in the safest possible car seat for as long as possible. Um, And so having three children in car seats and only having two hands, it's very difficult to, you know, to have to carry the car seats and install them all and get the kids all buckled in and you know all that and it just it it can be frustrating sometimes if we're taking an uber or a lyft um, from point a to point b but when car seats are necessary it's just a matter of you know my my two older ones are old enough now to help a little bit my oldest is in the booster and she can carry her own but there was a time for a short period of time when all three of them were in five-point harness car seats and so Basically, I would put the youngest one in first because the two older ones were old enough to understand, stay put, don't move, whereas the youngest, you know, she, she was sure. a baby, and, you know, I'd just put her in first, and then I'd get the other two taken care of. So that car seat dynamic, it, it's not a little thing to be taken into consideration. And the complications, even enhanced with the new transformative ways we get around today, it'd be different if you could just leave your car seat in the vehicle, but blind persons using taxis, Ubers, Lyft, et cetera, they can't just leave the car seat in that vehicle so they have to come up with creative ways of what to do and how to store that car seat and i love the way that stacy Cervanka really describes the different ways that she's dealt with what do i do with this car seat the difficult thing about being a blind parent is if you take an uber somewhere like to the mall when you get out at the mall you then have to schlep the car seat around and yeah so that stays with you yep light a car seat as possible so when one thing that we've learned to do is to ask at mall security or customer service or the ticket counter or the front desk if they would mind holding the car seat while we walk around and then i wear a front carrier and put josephine in it so i don't have to walk around with the car seat so our strategy for that is we find the lightest most portable car seats and booster seats we can and then when we get to a location often we will ask them and we've never been turned down i have heard of some blind parents who have been told no and in that situation, I would probably ask to speak to a manager or supervisor, and I would use the term reasonable accommodation. But we, we do. Like when we go to the zoo, we ask at the ticket window. We say, hey, would you guys mind holding our car seat in, in the ticket booth? And they always say yes. With the kids' museum, there's an area to do that. I mean, we've 
fairy tale towns, Thunderland, Sacramento Zoo, we've never been told no. At the mall, again, there's usually, you know, if there's not a security desk that you're aware of, you could just ask at a store. Like buy something at the first store you come to and be like, hey, by the way, would you guys mind holding holding our car seat and we'll come back for it? And um, people have always completely understood because it's obvious that the car seat is big and bulky and they can tell that we're struggling. So, I mean, they're happy to help. We've been discussing some high-tech options, uh, traveling with Uber and Lyft and public transportation. But, Anil, what about a low-tech option like like our two feet? <laughs> that, that's very low-tech, but it's definitely a viable way of getting around. Even in talking about walking, we have to make sure that we use simple strategies to make sure our kids, when they're traveling with, our, with us, are safe and uh, that we are able to get to where we need to get to without any real complication. I think Melissa talks about some simple strategies that she's used uh, when walking with her children. So the wagon was great because that's made to be pulled behind you. We also used a stroller, and we always pulled our stroller behind us instead of pushing it because, of course, we wanted to make sure that my guide dog or the cane came to the streets first or to any obstacle first. You know, I would much rather... If I'm going to run into anything, I would have much rather had myself run into it before we had the baby run into it. I appreciate uh, all those ideas from Melissa. Some people like strollers and some people like wagons. But then, Anil, some people don't really want to use that option. And uh, I think Stacy's really comes up with some really good ideas on what can you do if you don't want to pull a stroller. A lot of blind parents like to use strollers and pull them behind them um, while they're using their white cane or their guide dog so that you can detect obstacles with your cane or your dog in advance. However, you know, I don't use strollers as much. I tend to prefer baby carriers. I really like the Moby Wrap, which um, I use to wear my kids when they're young on my front. And um, I believe it works for kids up to 35 pounds. And so I still use it with Josephine, and she's a year and a half. And then my husband really likes the Becco Butterfly, and then we also got the Lilla Baby Toddler. And so using baby carriers has kind of been the most efficient for us because it leaves our hands free and we kind of find it more aerodynamic and just easier. I would, you know, when Josephine was first born, the first maybe eight months of her life, almost every day I would put Josephine on my front, I would put the diaper bag on my back, and I'd go for long walks. And it was just very simple. Like, I, I didn't have anything in my hands other than my cane. I didn't always like pulling anything. So I really enjoyed that. There are also little things, once your kids start walking, there are little harnesses you can get at Target where they are shaped like an animal. And the animal's tail is kind of a long leash that the parent can carry. Leo had a monkey, so he wore a little monkey backpack, and we would hold on to the monkey tail. And so that meant that he could walk and he could, you know, stop and pick flowers or pick up a rock. And, you know, he didn't have to hold our hand, but at the same point, he, was only, he could only go as far away as the leash. So, again, Stacy is a wealth of information with all the different names and models and stuff um, that, again, it's important to understand that these tools are the same tools that sighted parents use. We just use different techniques and strategies to take advantage of them. But even beyond all that, there's just such a simple way of traveling that should not be lost to man. And that sharing moment of walking hand in hand with your child cannot be substituted. And I love the way that Maurice Parade puts it in perspective when he talks about walking with his son. I have very fond memories of my son, two, three years old, uh, just learning to walk. And we, we loved going for walks together. 
And so in order to to know where he was, keep track of him, keep him out of traffic, you know, uh, I would we would I would hold his hand. And so I would hold his uh, right hand because with my right hand, I'm using my cane. And because a two or three year old child, uh, you know, they really uh, idolize their parents. They try to model their parents. Uh, Dad used a cane, so my son also went, thought he should use a cane. <laughs> and but since I was holding his right hand, he he held the cane in his left hand. Best cane travel you'll ever you've ever seen. <laughs> now my son is sighted, doesn't need to use a cane, but he was modeling his father. Uh, to this day, I think maybe I was responsible for him being left-handed <laughs> because he was holding his cane in his left hand. I just love uh, listening to uh, Maurice share the story and and just uh, the, the time he spent with his son just walking hand in hand. I, I, I know I heard this poem a long time ago, only one life that soon is past, only what's done with love will last. And those walks, just walking uh, to the bus or to school or wherever, and just being together as father and son, mother and daughter, is just so important. And and it just is a constant reminder that, you know, we can live the life that we want as long as we surround ourselves with the right people and the right love and the right encouragement. We can do anything we want. with us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NFB underscore voice. And like us on Facebook by searching for National Federation of the Blind. Visit our website at nfb.org or call us at 410-659-9314. This has been the Blind Parents Connection, supported by the Gibney Foundation and brought to you by the National Federation of the Blind.